Well, for the attendees, welcome. Uh, this is the fats, fuels, and oils forecast for the week of October 12th. Um, I have Tori Alden with us, and he's our senior analyst for Veg Oils. And he's going to be taking you through his forecast updates. If you have questions during his presentation, go ahead and drop them in the Q&A section of Zoom, and we'll get to them at the end of the presentation. Feel free to drop them in as he's talking, and uh, that way we have a good queue of questions to get to at the end. With that, Tori, can you take us through what you've got? Sure. Thanks, George. So over the past week, uh, price, veg oil prices have remained pretty volatile. Um, if you look back over the last month, we haven't had a week where soybean oil futures haven't moved by more than a cent, which uh, prices are volatile, but generally not that volatile. Um, I think it reflects the underlying bullish fundamentals and uh, of, of both the soybean oil and actually the soybean market um, in some of the, the speculative activity that has been driving uh, the soybean complex sort of overlaid with um, some of the volatility that has been driven by uh, palm oil and Chinese speculators. So the week before last, we had a big liquidation because uh, ahead of Golden Week, a lot of Chinese speculators reduced risk. They liquidated their position that pressured palm oil prices and also soybean oil prices. Um, then they were out for a week and that allowed sort of the fundamentals of world vegetable oil prices to take back over. So last week we had a big uh gains in in both soybean oil and palm oil and now on friday uh trading reopened on the dalian exchange and we started to get uh chinese cash prices again um and uh cash prices which had come down ahead of the golden week holiday jumped back up pretty close to their mid-september highs indicating that there's still a, a pretty substantial shortage of, of vegetable oil uh, in China. That said, China has been importing a lot of, of soybeans and uh, their soybean crush volumes have been pretty substantial and we expect them to remain pretty substantial. The question is, will the increased production in, in soybean oil offset the uh, decline primarily in, in rapeseed oil um, that has sort of kicked off this whole underlying really bullish uh, fundamental outlook. It's too soon to really know the answer to that. I, I would suggest that the movement in Chinese prices says no, um, because it's not like China just started importing a bunch of soybeans uh, this past month or so, they they took record amounts of, of soybeans out of Brazil over the summer, and uh, they've been taking about a million and a half tons of, of soybeans a week out of the U.S. for the last several weeks anyway. So they should have enough soybeans, and their, their port stocks are, are at the highest level they've been at in a little while. In addition, their uh, hog herd has is recovering from African swine fever. Um, and so the demand for the meal is there. And so they, they should continue to, uh, to produce big volumes of soybean oil. And I assume at some point there will be kind of a, 
a tipping and and things will settle down a little bit but uh right now it, it doesn't look like that point is is coming anytime too soon so generally i would suggest that for end users any setback in prices like we just had is an opportunity to extend uh coverage because it looks like it's probably going to be the first quarter, the end of the first quarter in 2021, before we get any substantial relief uh, from the the bullish pressure in in world veg oil uh, markets. With that, we also got uh, a couple of reports over the past week. We got the USDA WASD, and we also got um, the Malaysian Palm Oil Board's monthly report. So let's go through some of the changes that the USDA made. Uh, for the US, they really made uh, changes to biodiesel production and non-biodiesel usage, and they kind of offset those. Um, they also trued up their uh, their soybean oil production, or, or it came pretty close to truing it up um, with a reduction of, of 55 million pounds. Um, that and an increase in their uh, in their export forecast to 2.8 billion pounds, reduced their uh, their 2019-2020 carryout by just over 100 million pounds down to 17 1.74 billion, basically unchanged from from last year. We're a little bit above that, primarily because our export forecast is just a little bit lower. We've got one uh, one month left of, of export data to get to. Um, and I, I set the forecast a little bit lower. I, it's in line with, with sort of what we typically do in the last month of, of most marketing years, but I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if, if the actual number ended up coming in a little bit closer to USDA's number than our number, and that we weren't a little bit lower in, in the carryout than we are, but probably a little bit above where uh, USDA is because we've got the, uh, the final uh, export number and, um, and the, the, close to the final uh, non-biodiesel usage numbers, which is the other spot where we're really different for 1920. Looking ahead, uh, USDA made, again, the same changes to biodiesel production and non-biodiesel usages that they made for 19 and 20. That raises their biodiesel production number up, but they're still pretty substantially below where we are. I think the question here is, is how quickly does uh, corn oil production come back and, and slaughter come back um, because what we've seen over the last several months of data from the EIA, which is back for uh, June and July, is basically record soybean oil usage in, in biodiesel production. If that continues, USDA is going to need to raise that number going forward. We also think there's a good chance that they probably will need to raise their export forecast going forward. Um, there's not a lot of, of room for increased production. Basically, their their crush forecasts and our crush forecast are both at um, or close to capacity. And so uh, the only place that uh, it looks like USDA could cut further is, is non-biodiesel usage, which includes um, renewable diesel production and co-processing 
production. We're a little bit below USDA there, uh, not on renewable diesel and co-processing. I assume they, they don't break those numbers out, um, but I assume we're probably a little bit lower on the on the non-biofuel usage um, and USDA will probably need to, uh, to cut that. So they're expecting ending stocks to remain relatively stable for uh, 2021 at, at a relatively low level, and that's kind of the theme for all of the uh, all of the veg oils. We're a little bit below USDA, um, but it we'll talk a little bit more about the crush as as we move through the rest of the presentation. Um, but there's some chance that ultimately crush might even end up being a little bit lower. In that case, I would expect that uh, that the export number basis in the U.S. would in domestic basis would come up and the export number would be below even USDA's number. Um, but there's some some other dynamics that will impact that, particularly the availability of, of palm oil. Um, so all of that said, I think that um, I don't expect a big deviation from these numbers in the ending stocks by the time we're, we're sitting here next year. I think we probably will be around the 1.7, 1.6 billion uh, pound level, but that's well below sort of where we've started the marketing year for the last couple of years with expectations that were above 2 billion pounds and then came down throughout the year. For uh, for canola oil in the U.S., uh, again, USDA typically doesn't make a lot of changes to their uh, to their canola forecast throughout the year. Um, we got a little bit more export data or, or trade flow data, so they cut uh, their forecast for imports. They probably need to cut that a little bit more. Um, but they probably need to raise their production forecast a little bit more. They've got ending stocks down to 135, which is closer to our 123, um, but they probably will come down a little bit more than that. The bigger difference uh, is next year when uh, USDA again sees stocks remaining relatively tight at, at 135, but we're substantially below that at, at 75 million pounds. Um, we both have exports relatively low. I think the big question here is is the difference in biodiesel production. Um, we're above USDA at 1.375 essentially billion pounds and they're at 1.25. Um, I think Again, this is something else that depends a lot on um, on the return of, of corn oil production and slaughter. Since corn canola oil is the most expensive oil to use for uh, for biodiesel production, if those other competing sources of feedstocks come back more quickly than expected, uh, we may ultimately end up having to cut our forecast for canola oil usage in, in biodiesel. Conversely, if they don't, um, I think USDA would need to come up and they would probably uh, take at least a portion of any increase in that out of ending stocks. 
The other area where we're a little bit different is on imports. USDA is at uh, 4.3 billion pounds. We're sticking with about 4 billion pounds. Canadian crushers crushed as much uh, canola as they possibly could this year. And um, it's difficult to see that that they would be able to crush more. In fact, right now we're projecting that they're going to crush a little bit less. Um, and with China taking about half of, of what they usually take, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine that number goes down. And so it's, I, I have a hard time just imagining a scenario where um, U.S. imports of, of canola go up substantially from this year, even if the need is there. I, I just think that the, the supply constraints are going to make it a little bit difficult uh, for USDA to raise that number. So ultimately, I expect them to build in a reduction in, in U.S. canola oil stocks. Uh, for the Canadian uh, balance sheet, USDA didn't really make any changes at all. Um, again, we've got uh, the final numbers for uh, production. And so USDA is going to need to come up a little bit there, um, down just a, a very small amount in, uh, in imports. And uh, outside of that, there aren't really any changes. The difference in USDA's ending stocks number and our ending stocks number are driven by uh, the carry-in. And that's just simply due to the fact that we um, we true up our numbers to data from the Canadian Canola Council. They have their own uh, they have their own ending stocks numbers or their own stocks numbers, and those are the numbers that we use in our um, forecasting. And so we came in with with lower stocks. We go out with lower stocks. The more important thing to note here is is sort of the year-over-year change. And again, USDA expects a big decline from 335,000 tons down to 185,000 tons. We expect a smaller outright decline and probably a little bit smaller in percentage terms too, but down from 125,000 to 100,000 tons. Outside of that, um, our forecasts are are pretty similar. The only real difference is uh, we have a little bit larger production and a little bit smaller exports. Again, we think that uh, if if the crushing volumes aren't um, aren't going to go up, and in fact are going to be lower next year than they were this year. Um, the supply that's available for export is probably going to be lower too. Now we'll see whether crushing volumes actually come down if the world is short veg oil. Um, it probably would make sense to uh, raise crushing volumes up to the level that we saw last year. And ultimately, we probably will will kind of do that as, as we move through the year. The first couple of months, based on uh, weekly data from the, the uh, from COPA, suggests that that our number, at least at this point, is is still in the ballpark. And so what we haven't seen is is sort of uh, anything in the data that suggests that we need to raise our crushing volume number yet, but we may as, as we move forward. Uh, for palm oil, 
USDA uh, here is is kind of running a little bit behind um, the Malaysian Palm Oil Board, which released its latest report Sunday night here in the US, Monday in, in Malaysia. Um, and so they have to, uh, USDA will need to true some of these numbers up to the, to the Palm Oil Board data. Uh, they've got to raise production a little bit um, and imports a little bit. The one that is is probably most surprising is on exports where USDA will need to come up quite a bit and that's going to cut um, quite a bit out of their ending stocks. Right now they're, they are projecting a little bit of a, a, a smaller decline in ending stocks than Malaysian Palm Oil Board reported. They already reported this number 1.725. Uh, million tons. And so they're going to have to uh, raise their forecast for exports and their forecast for or their estimate of uh, domestic usage. 1.7 uh, million tons is the lowest palm oil uh, carry out in, in three or four years. And it doesn't look like um, that's likely to come back up above that uh, sort of 2 million ton mark that is kind of the the line between where um, the market is, is, is bullish or bearish from a very, very general perspective. Um, we've got stocks coming up a little bit from uh, 1920 to 2021, um, but there's some real big risks associated with that forecast. One, uh, Malaysia's just introduced, um, or they, they did about a week ago, introduced some restrictions on movements to slow the spread of the coronavirus and one of the largest producing states. And so that's one of the risks to production. The other big risk to production is um, the impact of, of La Nina. Uh, La Nina years typically feature heavier than normal rainfall in Malaysia and Indonesia, and that can lead to flooding, which can either delay harvest or, or disrupt harvest at, at a minimum. Right now we have production forecasted 20.5 million tons. That's 600,000 tons above where USDA is. But I think the, the risk in our production forecast is probably to the downside. Um, we've got supply a little bit bigger because assumption of, of a little bit larger imports. Um, and on the demand side, we've got domestic usage up because we assume that, that biodiesel usage will be stronger than USDA is expecting. There is probably a bigger risk for uh, our biodiesel forecast than anything else on the demand side because uh, Malaysia has, has delayed the implementation of their biodiesel mandate several times. And typically when prices rise, Malaysia will, will delay or, or just get really sort of squishy on their on their mandate. The mandate is really there uh, to kind of sop up extra palm oil supplies. And so if if supplies are relatively tight and and um, and prices are relatively high, they don't necessarily see the need to um, to strictly enforce the mandate. And given what the world uh, vegetable oil fundamental outlook is, it seems unlikely that prices are going to come down significantly anytime 
soon. And so it wouldn't necessarily be a surprise to see Malaysia delay the, the mandate for uh, by their biodiesel mandate. Um, but with that said, uh, right now their, their plan is to go forward. And so we've built that into our forecast and that's, that's why our, our domestic use forecast is a little bit higher than USDA's. Nonetheless, we still have uh, stocks below where USDA is projecting. They're projecting a year-over-year decline. And so once they true these numbers up, they probably will make some changes um, to the demand side of, of their forecast to keep stocks relatively stable around the 1.7 million ton level would be my guess. Um, and again, I think that uh, the risk for our ending stocks forecast would be to the uh, to the downside. With that, uh, I will open it up for questions. All right, thanks, Tori. Um, so the first question we have is: Can canola oil be used in renewable diesel production? Uh, does it generate RINs? Right now, it can't, and that's one of the biggest questions uh, I think in the in the biofuel space is when will the U.S. approve a pathway for uh, canola oil for renewable diesel? Um, we keep expecting that that will happen. Uh, QSIC is kind of famous for expecting uh, the pathway to be approved and. Um, and we haven't seen any real substantial movement to indicate that that's going to happen anytime soon. But if you look at the, um, the outlook for U.S. veg oil stocks and, and feedstock stocks, so including the low CI feedstocks, um, you, and, and compare that with the number of renewable diesel plants that have been announced, you understand pretty quickly that, uh, that the low CI feedstocks are going to have a hard time keeping up with the increased capacity in renewable diesel. And even if you then assume that soybean oil is going to take on a lot of, of that additional capacity, you still get really, really tight. And so I think there probably is going to become a point where um, the EPA is basically forced to uh, prove the canola oil pathway just from the perspective of having enough feedstocks to feed all of the plants that, um, that are approved and up and running. Now, the other thing that's likely to happen is there's likely to be some kind of shift from uh, renewable diesel production uh, from biodiesel production, given the relative level of profitability for biodiesel production versus renewable diesel production. The one saving grace for biodiesel producers is the blender's tax credit. That dollar makes a, makes a huge difference. And so it may be difficult to, uh, to reduce biodiesel capacity until that blender's tax credit expires. Um, which is in a, a couple of years. And so in the, in the short term, it, it may force e the EPA's hand more quickly than, um, than expected. Right now we're kind of going through and, and revising our long-term projections and we're, we're kind of in the middle of that. Um, but the, the one kind of surprise among the group has been how quickly we sort of run out of 
uh, low CI feedstocks. So it may be something that isn't sort of two or three years out. It may be something that uh, the EPA is forced to do in the next year, maybe two years kind of tops. Okay. And Tor, we got about seven minutes left before we wrap, but we got a few more questions. Uh, what does the developing La Nina impact your, how does the developing La Nina impact your SBO forecast? So I, I talked a little bit about the impact on, on palm oil production. Um, that is, is one of the things that plays into this question about what U.S. exports are going to be. Um, if palm oil production is, is lower than expected, then obviously there's there probably U.S. exports will be higher. Another thing that could, uh, that could drive U.S. exports up is growing conditions in South America. So if you go back and look at all of the prior La Nina years, and you look at the difference between the soybean yield for uh, Brazil and Argentina in the trend line yield in those years, it turns out that there's a there's a substantial impact and it's uh, generally lower. Right now, we're already seeing planting delays in Brazil due to dry and hot conditions in the in the northern growing areas. Um, and if that doesn't turn around soon, um, it may be that uh, the early one, the early soybean exports out of Brazil probably won't be there. Um, but two, the, the crushing volumes in Brazil probably won't be there. Given that Brazil, one, sold all of their soybeans to China, and then two, turned around and sold most of their soybean oil to China, um, that would also enhance the opportunities for uh, U.S. exports. In Argentina, it uh, the impact is is kind of the same, and Argentina is kind of in the same situation right now. It's a little early for soybean planting in Argentina, but analysts are reducing the size of of wheat production in Argentina because of the dryness and the lack of rainfall. Um, and so, if that continues through the season, Argentina obviously has a much larger impact on the export market than Brazil does. Um, if that continues and Argentina doesn't export as much as they are sort of slated to export, um, then that also kind of argues for higher than expected U.S. exports. Now, the, the difficult part there is, is that um, if the Brazilian planting is late and uh, there aren't enough soybeans to export for, to China, then the U.S. is probably going to have to export more soybeans to China in December and January than a lot of people have built into their projections right now. In the USDA report, they took uh, U.S. soybean ending stocks down below 300 million bushels, which is relatively tight given the size of, of demand. Um, and so there could be a situation where we're having to export more soybeans to China and we don't have as much as many to crush. And so that may reduce the supply of soybean oil a little bit, which given the, the potential shortfall in these other areas would just make soybean oil prices significantly higher and could, um, could drive prices up to levels that we haven't seen in quite a while. 
a lot of things have to fall into place between now and the end of the year or the end of January for that to happen. But it's a, it's a situation that is much more, the probability is much higher that it happens this year than it has um, for the past several years, for sure. Okay. And we have about three minutes for the last question. Uh, what is the outlook for soybean oil interior basis levels? Um, so kind of in the, in the case that I outlined, it's, it's hard to imagine that, uh, that basis levels go down. Basis levels have, have come up, um, over the past couple of months. And I think that, uh, you would typically expect to get some, some harvest and crushing pressure beginning about now, certainly as we get into November and there there may be some of that, um, but any decline in basis is, is likely to be short-lived as there probably is greater demand for um, exports. And there's also really strong demand from biodiesel producers. So uh, I think that much in the same way that I think any setback in, in soybean oil futures is an opportunity for end users to extend coverage. I think anytime you get a, a basis quote that is lower than it was in the previous week or whatever, um, that probably is also an opportunity for end users to, to extend coverage. We might get that again over the next uh, four to six weeks, I would say. Um, but after that, I think it's going to, I think basis levels will remain well supported and, and probably continue to move higher. Okay. Well, Tori, that's all the time we have to answer questions. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Attendees, thank you for jumping in there and sending your questions on to us. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm.